I feel like seasons like these, these are good seasons to remind us all of what God has done in our lives, where we have come from, what has taken place in our lives. And uh, even though this message this morning is a, is a senior graduation message, it is also a message for all of us, a, a message to remind our hearts as well. When I was putting together this slideshow, I was just sharing with some of our students over here, I cannot believe how much, a, how much time goes by in a year and how much our lives change in a year. Anytime you've ever looked at photos, sometimes from a year or two years past, it's amazing. It happens so gradually in our life, sometimes we don't realize what has taken place and what has gone by. And, and in our lives, there are lots of seasons. There's lots of transitions in our lives and lots of times where we move from one season to the next season. Uh, some seasons are good. Some seasons we're happy to get out of. Some seasons we wish we could stay a little bit longer in. Um, I, I don't know many teenagers who are like, I wish that puberty season was a lot longer. Like, I wish my voice cracked for a little bit longer. Uh, I wish it was more awkward during that season. But uh, as, I, as I was looking through and, and as I was thinking through the graduation season, I also started thinking through the seasons of my own life as well. Um, I can remember clearly graduation. I remember the potential that was the freedom of, of graduation, the potential that was going to college and <clears throat> getting a chance sometimes even to start over a little bit, right? Like you leave behind all the preconceived notions and all the, all the assumptions that people have built on your life over time and you're like, okay, I get to start fresh. I, I get to start new. I get to move into a new season. Uh, I remember the season of my life where, where marriage was, was taking place in my life. And I remember thinking, all right, I don't have to win anyone over anymore. I can let myself go. I can, I can. <clears throat> and then, and then I moved into a great season, which is dad season. And I realized dad bod was a thing. And I was like, this is my sweet spot season. And, um, and, and then as a dad, there's some, as a parent, there's some great seasons as well. Like I remember when we bought our last pack of diapers. I remember that. And I remember thinking, I remember Mel and I talking to ourselves and saying, this is it. This is the last one. If, if, if they need more diapers, it's free range. We're just going to put newspaper out <laughs> around, the, around the floor. They're going to figure this out. I also remember as a dad the season of I no longer needed to climb into the car to buckle the seatbelts of my kids. Like that was a freeing season. Now, unfortunately, they don't buckle their seatbelts anyways. So that season has turned into yelling season, which is buckle up every time we're in the car. Why do I have to remind you to buckle your seatbelts? <clears throat> Lots of seasons in our lives, and, and even I find myself in a, in a season of transition as well, and one of the things I'm grateful for is that in the midst of this season of transition, God has allowed our family to stay here and allowed us to continue to dig our roots here at Grace and share lives with families, and if I don't look at Pastor Doug today, it's because he'll probably make me cry, so, um, but, but I'm thankful for seasons in our lives. I, I'm thankful for what God does in our life, and as I began to think through what is it that I wanted to share as this transition season happened, and as I prepared for um, our students on Wednesday. Wednesday night, and as I prepared for this morning, there's some things that I wanted to make sure that if for some strange reason, if it was God's plan that this was the last time I get to talk with you, these are the things that I so desperately wanted all of our hearts 
to know. And, and this morning, I'm going to spend the bulk of our time in the book of Mark, not because my name is Mark and I'm narcissistic in any way, though it is a great book. Um, but I want to spend some time this morning in Mark chapter 12, specifically looking at verses starting at verse 29 through 30. If you are seniors, hang with me for a little bit. I started this message with you guys, but I've got so much more that I want to share with you. And so, in Mark chapter 12, there is a religious scholar, a religious teacher that has a conversation with Jesus. And sometimes we get this conversation confused with the conversation that Jesus had with religious leaders right before he told the story of the Good Samaritan. These are similar conversations, but two very different conversations that took place at two very different times. When the t religious leaders were, asked, were, were questioning and testing Jesus when he was talking about, the, when he told them the story of the Good Samaritan, it was an opportunity to trap him. But in this story here in Mark, even though the question is very similar, this religious leader desperately wanted an answer for a question. And so we're going to take a look at what this interaction looked like with Christ and this religious leader, and I believe this morning there's some things that we'll be able to find for our hearts this morning. And this is what it says. I'll be starting in Mark chapter 12, verse 29, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And the second is equally as important. Love your neighbors as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. I want to read this, uh, th this passage of scripture again, but from the message translation. So listen to it. I love the wording here, and sometimes I think hearing it from a different perspective can ignite a verse that we've probably heard a lot, but cause us to think about it in a different way. This is how it says it in the message, uh, in the message paraphrase. It says, the first in importance is this, listen, Israel. And when it says Israel, it's talking to us as well, the family of God. The Lord your God is one, so love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. And here is the second, love others as well as you love yourself. There is no other commandment that ranks with these. So I want to take some time to take a look at these four, these four statements of how we love, and then I want to apply them today to our lives as it relates to our understanding of the kingdom of heaven. So when it comes to this understanding of verse 30, where God gives us, or where Jesus gives us four ways in which we are to love God, if we are to fulfill his purpose and plan for our lives, the first thing that he says is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. It, so what does this mean? It means that your heart cannot be divided in its love. Your heart, with all your heart means you cannot have a divided heart when it comes to loving God. It means that God is the singular source and object of our greatest desires and passions. Now often in the Bible when it talks about the heart, it refers to kind of us, at, it refers to humanity in general, it refers to the, the person in general. Like for example in Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 it says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows out of it. And so when it's talking about heart, it's kind of talking about you as, as a person. But in this instance, 
If that were true, if, if that statement of the heart was to refer to all of us, then it would make the other statements unnecessary, soul, mind, strength, because that's all part of us as well. But one of the things that I want us to understand is he was, Jesus was very intentional about isolating this idea of heart when he's communicating to us. Jesus, when Jesus says, all your heart, he means an undivided affection. God wants all of our heart. He wants our undivided affection. This is to mean that Jesus is the only one who sits on the throne of your heart. He does not share this seat with any other affection. If you've heard me preach before, if you've heard me pray before, you'll hear me use this language, and I don't just do it because it's helpful for us, I do it because it's helpful for me as well. And I recognize <clears throat> there are so many things in my life that sit near the throne of my heart, ready to sit on the throne whenever I allow Christ to vacate the throne of my heart, whenever I allow my affections to go towards something else other than God, other than what he wants for my life. And so this morning, someone or something is taking the seat of honor in your heart this morning, and God wants that to be dedicated for him. It's not a two-chair seat. It's not a, a multiple-chair seat. It's not a rotation of who or what sits on the throne of our hearts this morning. He wants our undivided affection. That's what it means with all your heart. Now, with all of your soul, with all of your soul has to do with our deepest longings and emotions and our convictions. Your soul can be described as the core of who you are. The word that we would use today in our own culture is our identity. Our soul is our identity. It's who we identify with. It's who we identify as. And when God says, love the Lord your God with all your soul, he means he wants our full identity to be child of God because of what Christ has done in our lives. But this does not happen if we don't love Jesus with all of our hearts. If our affections are divided, then our identity is divided as well. And the culture will provide all sorts of things for us to identify with. And not all of those things are bad things. In fact, the enemy would love nothing more than to divide our identity and divide our soul. It's what he wants to steal from us. He knows that if he can separate you from your identity with Jesus as Savior, that it will change every conviction, every longing that you have. This is all tied to our identity, our soul. And it's either sealed in Christ or it's not. There are no other options. Our identity is either in Christ or it's not. It's in something else. And you will live your life for whatever you identify with. You'll worship it. You'll make sacrifices for it. You'll die for it. If success or security or career is your God, you will work yourself to death. If body image is your God, you will starve yourself to death. If control is your God, you will worry yourself to death. Every other master in our life says, you must lay down your life to have me. But it is only God who said, I will lay down my life so that I can have you. Every other master will ask what we cannot give and will make promises that it cannot fulfill. 
That's what it means to love God with all your soul. My identity, everything, my emotions, the source of my life comes from my identity, which is child of God, if you're a believer. Next, he says, with all your mind. What does it mean to love God with all your mind? This shows us that loving and serving God is not just a matter of feelings and emotions. It is a deliberate act of our will. It means that serving God with your intellect and seeking to please him with your thoughts, your ideas, your decisions, all based on his truth and his wisdom and his purpose and plans for our lives. It's so easy for us to get swept away by our emotion, and it's so easy for the believer to, to, to feel these seasons in our lives where we feel really emotional and in love and close with God, and then there are seasons in our life where we don't feel close to God. We feel distant from God, and, and those seasons, if we allow only our emotions to dictate our affection for God, can make hot and cold, wet and dry seasons of our life and our relationship with Christ. But if we love God with all of our mind, then it doesn't matter the affections or the emotions of our life. We are determined standing on God's truth because we understand with our minds that God is true. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we love him with our, old, our whole minds, it means that we know that, that beyond our feelings, or, or the, the rejections of this world, we can stand on God's promises because they are true. Fourthly, he says, love the Lord your God with all your strength. Loving God with all your strength means your best energies and efforts go into serving God and promoting his purposes. We have one purpose and point in our life for the believer if we are identified in Christ, and it is to glorify and honor God. And if we love God with all of our strength, then all of our energy, all of our motivations, all of everything that we have left in us goes to promoting Christ and his purposes. It also means that we are willing to persevere in faith when circumstances are changing, even if we are physically exhausted. We will persevere. We will give all of our strength. At times, loving God may involve tough choices and a willingness to share the pain of obedience, just as Christ did. If we don't love God with all of our strength, when it gets hard, when it gets tricky, when it gets dangerous, we'll back away will shrink away. We will say, I don't have enough to do what you're asking me to do. But when we love God with all of our strength, we know where our strength comes from. And there's nothing that he can't do in our lives. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, the second is equally as important. He packages these both together. In fact, in doing so, he says, these two cannot be separated from one another. And love your neighbor as yourself. The best way to, to, to test the conditions of your heart, do you want to check the barometer of your heart and find out how you're doing in, in your relationship with Christ, how close you are in Christ? Take a look at the relationships that you have around you. Take a look at the way that your heart feels about the people in your life. Not just your friends, not just your family, but the coworkers that you have, your bosses, the people that we run into day to day, the people that are in the cars around us. How does our heart feel towards them? Do we love them the same way that we love ourselves? 
in verse 31. I liked how it said it in the, the message version. Love others as well as you love yourself. Now, some of us are very good at loving ourselves. And if we loved others in that same way, it would transform every relationship that we have. But some of us need to start by loving ourselves more. Seeing yourself through God's eyes. Seeing yourself as an image bearer of God. The Bible tells us that we are created in God's image. All of creation, whether you're a believer or not, the Bible tells us all of, all of humanity was created in God's image. There is, this, there is this theological term called the imago Dei, that we are the image bearers of Christ. And when we understand that we bear the image of our Savior, our life has worth and value regardless of our circumstances, regardless of the choices and decisions that we've made in the past. And when we get to see ourselves the way God sees us, it will transform the way that we love ourselves. The enemy has two tactics that he uses over and over again. He will either make us love ourselves too much, which is pride and selfishness and self-righteousness, or he will make us hate ourselves, which leads to depression, feelings of worthlessness, defeat, and hopelessness. And he knows that if he can attack you at the core of your identity, if he could affect the way that you see yourself, it will affect the way that you see Christ, and it will affect the way that we love and follow God. Both have the same results. We do a poor job of loving God and loving others if we don't see ourselves rightly. Either we love ourselves to the point of making ourselves our own God, and we reject the one true God, or we think so lowly of ourselves that we don't believe that God could ever love us. And so we question his mercy and his grace, and we question the work of, the, of Christ on the cross. And we say, God, you may have died for lots of people's sins, but my sins are too bad. I'm too far separated from you. And what we say is, the work of Christ was not good enough to cover my sin. And so we begin to work out, maybe if I work harder, maybe if I'm better, maybe if I curse less, maybe if I do this less, maybe if I do this more. And we say, I have to add to what Christ did because it wasn't enough to cover my sins. And that is simply not the gospel. It's a lie. It's only when we accept God's sacrificial, unconditional love that we can finally see ourselves rightly and finally love God and others rightly but I have a confession I need to make. I've been burying the lead the whole time. In fact, what I want us to land on today is not found in these verses, but it's found three verses later in verse 34. The religious leader loved Jesus' answer. He thought it was great. In fact, the translation from a lot of scholars from of verse 32 when he says, well said, can also be translated as beautifully said. Or, you are so right. So this religious leader agreed with what Christ said, but this is what we need to acknowledge this morning. The teacher agreed with everything Jesus said, but Jesus' response to the religious leader, should, uh, we should take heart of, because this is what he says in verse 34, realizing this man's understanding. So Jesus recognized, he understood what he said. The religious leader understood what he said, but he says this to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. 
Jesus acknowledges that the religious leader understood and agreed with everything that Jesus taught that day, but he was lacking the one thing necessary for salvation, recognition of his need for a savior through Christ Jesus. So what can we learn from this statement that Jesus gives to this religious leader? And this is the warning for for all of our hearts this morning. First, it's this. It is entirely possible to grow up in the church, to have consistent godly parents, and never come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Your parents' faith, your friends' faith, your family's faith, the faith of the staff at our church, the faith of the leaders in your life, cannot get you into the kingdom of heaven. Secondly, it's also completely possible to have studied theology and have never become a true Christian. It's possible for you to have extensive biblical knowledge and not have a transformed heart. No amount of studying will get you into the kingdom of God. Thirdly, it is possible to have heard the grace of Christ preached all of your life and still be resting on your own goodness and in your own hard works. No amount of our good work or determination will get you into the kingdom of God. Fourthly, it's possible to become gospel-hardened You've heard it all before. And we turn our affections off for the things of God, even within the church. And it's possible to fool everyone and divide our affections and look religious, yet be so far from God. But no amount of acting like or looking like a Christian gets you into the kingdom of heaven. Lastly, it is possible to be within an inch of the kingdom of heaven. I I don't want to say that this morning to scare you or cause you to question, am I saved, am I not saved, but I I do want you to ask yourself this morning, am I near to the kingdom of heaven or do I have a relationship with Christ this morning? The abiding truth is this, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus but don't allow your heart to be transformed, then your convictions that we don't act on will die. The truths that aren't followed will fade. Going to church can become a habit without becoming transformational. As we transition in this season of our life right now, even this moment in our life right now, it could be a transformational season where we decide, I want more than just information about God. I want relationship with God this morning. For some of you, we need to ask ourselves the question, are you near to the kingdom of God, but not in it? There are times when a single step makes all the difference. When you stand at the entrance gate of an airplane and you're one step away from stepping on the plane and it will take you to whatever destination it is that you're going to. But if we stay inactive, we will never go anywhere. Seniors, I I know all of you have heard the gospel, and I know that you know the truth because we have communicated it over and over again in your life. But that is not the same as believing 
the truth. The same is true for all of us in this room. The reason why so many young people walk away from their faith after high school is because head knowledge never really became heart knowledge. Their faith was never really their own. They had a belief in God, but they never had a relationship with God. And there's a big difference between the two. There are thousands of people that live all around us who believe in God, but not all of them have relationship with God. <clears throat> James K.A. Smith in his book, You Are What You Love, says it this way. Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but forms our very loves. He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas in your mind. He is after nothing less than your wants, your loves, and your longings. Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all. This vision encapsulated in shorthand is the kingdom of God. Kim, if you want to come up. There's a French mathematician and theologian. I know you'll be very interested in this. His name is Belaise Pascal. And he says this, I, I actually kind of love the mathematician and the theologian thing because it's, it's like this heady practical and this spiritual, and I love how they, he combines this idea. He has this theory about the wager of our life. This is what it says. You have to wager. It's not up to you. You're already committed. You can't not bet your life on something. You can't not be headed somewhere. We live leaning forward, bent on arriving at a place we long for. So what is it that you long for? Do you long for the kingdom of heaven? When it all boils down, it boils down to this issue of love. What is it that we love? What is it that we love most? And again, please hear me say, there are lots of things that we can love, lots of things that we're supposed to love, lots of good things in our lives. When, but it, when it comes to our identity, when it comes to the affections of our heart, when it comes to everything that drives us, it has to be Christ. It can't be your family. You can't turn your family into your functional savior that says, if I'm a good mom and dad and I raise good kids, then my life will be worth and if they end up lousy, then my life is lousy. No, 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 no. Christ is enough. If your functional savior is to be in a relationship, then, and, and tr you'll manipulate people and you'll switch a situation around any way that you need to for their affection. And they will become your functional savior. And you'll be good when you're together, but when they're gone, we fall to pieces. Christ has to be enough in our hearts. How or what do you truly love? What is your life centered on? What is your identity tied to? It's either Christ alone or it's not. There is no in-between. God will not share the throne of your heart. When he, when he says all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, there is no sharing for God. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? 
Father, this morning as we allow our hearts to reflect on this and as we allow your Holy Spirit to sift our hearts this morning, Lord God, identify with laser precision the things that compete for the affection of our heart this morning. And we ask that you would turn our hearts towards you alone, God. For those of us who claim to be a follower of Christ, Lord God, help us to understand if we know of you or if we are known by you in relationship with you this morning. Allow your Holy Spirit to reveal to our heart this morning if it's just head knowledge or if we also have heart knowledge this morning. Father, we want to know you, not just intellectually, but emotionally, relationally, spiritually. Father, for those this morning who maybe recognize that they have known about you and they are near the kingdom of God like this religious leader, but they have not made a decision to follow you. Or for those this morning that it has just been revealed to them that they have a need for a savior, they have put their hope in something else that is not you, then Lord, we want to pray this morning for those who need relationship with you. And so as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want to give us an opportunity to respond this morning as we close. And I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you, though I do think there is something significant about our willingness to proclaim that we have a need for a Savior. It is the gospel. And so this morning, if you have not made a decision to follow Christ, but you recognize you need a Savior, then I'm going to simply ask that you would just look up and make eye contact with me, and I will agree with you, and we will pray together. And so I'm going to start all the way to my right, your left of the sanctuary, and if there is any this morning that need relationship with Christ, if you would be willing to make contact, eye contact with me this morning so I can pray for you. Thank you. Moving to the next section over in front of the sound booth, if there are any this morning who need relationship with Christ. Thank you. Thank you. Moving over now to the left, your right center section, if there are any this morning who need relationship with Christ, if you'd make eye contact with me, thank you, so I can agree with you. Thank you. Thank you. And all the way over now to our left, your far right section. pray together as well in reminding our own hearts for our need for a Savior. Father, this morning we recognize that without you we are lost. And this morning we recognize that we have a need for a Savior. We have given our heart away to so many other things that have led us astray, that have disappointed us, that have led us to trouble, Lord God. We need your healing this morning for our hearts and our minds and our souls, Lord God. And so we pray this morning as we give our heart back to you, Lord God, that you would transform it, you would regenerate it, breathe life back into it this morning. Because of your work on the cross, we are thankful that we have a Savior this morning who is willing to give everything to us so that we could be restored in relationship with you. And for those this morning that acknowledged, we put our hope and our trust in Christ alone. Father, for many of us who recognize that we are near the kingdom of heaven but have not yet stepped in, allow us to trust you in some new way. Reveal something new about who we are, who you are, who we are in relationship with you, that we would be willing to wager our life on your work, on your love. Father, help us to love like you love. Change our motivations, change our desires.
Help us to see our identity in you alone, Lord God, so that our life would be an act of worship to you. We love you, we thank you, we honor you, and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.